MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, September 17th, 2021. Today, Durham digs up an indictment. 24 attorneys general asked the courts to block the Texas abortion ban. Trump blasted Paul Ryan for condemning white supremacy. Red states are cutting back health powers amid the pandemic. And Democrats in California are looking into changing the recall rules. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hello, everyone. All by my lonesome today. I thought I'd be in L.A. filming a thing. I was going to do a different kind of show today and didn't have anybody scheduled to be with me. But I am not. So I'll be giving you the headlines. And then I have a discussion with the founder of Roast Battle on Comedy Central, my good friend Brian Moses. And I'll also be talking with the hosts of a brand new MSW Media podcast called Nonprofits. And the hosts are Frankie French and Stephen Campbell. And so they'll be with me in a little bit to talk about their podcast. It's all about not-for-profits. And they're shining a light on local and big, small, and all kinds of grassroots fundraising, nonprofits, political action, and stuff like that. You're going to love it. So that's the show today. And also, I wanted to take a minute to thank our patrons. Seriously. It's because of you that we have the funds to do extra projects. Like this Sunday, for example, we're going to be covering, Dana and I are going to be covering Mary Trump's book, The Reckoning. It's episode two of a six-part series, actually a seven-part series, because Mary will come back at the end and answer our patrons' questions. So get your copy now. And then, of course, Dana will be back with me for the Beans Monday. But patrons, you help pay for these projects. It's also how MSW Media can offer health benefits and, and good pay to our staff. So thank you so much. If you want to join the Patreon or Supercast community, you can do so for as little as 3 bucks a month. That's just $36 a year. You get access to all the private social media and Slack and Discord groups. You get the Beans, MSW Book Club, and Muller She Wrote all ad-free. You get some video. I post some videos of the interviews that I do that you only hear audio of in the, in the podcasts. So you get invites to the meet and greets, Friday happy hour Zoom calls. So much. But thank you, thank you, thank you to all our patrons and, and supercasters. Really, really appreciate you. All right, let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, the lead story today. Attorneys general from 23 states and D.C. called on a federal court to block Texas's near total ban on abortions Wednesday, slamming the laws as plainly unconstitutional in an amicus brief filed in the Biden administration's lawsuit against the controversial policy. So DOJ filed their lawsuit. Right. And then, of course, DOJ asked has asked for an injunction, a stay to stop the law while while that lawsuit is litigated. And now 23 states attorneys general in D.C. have filed an amicus brief. The attorneys general asked the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Texas to rule in favor of the U.S. Department of Justice by immediately blocking the Texas law known as SB8, alleging the policy violates the 14th Amendment and should be struck down. That's supremacy clause, right? Should be struck down while the case moves forward. The brief is in support of a motion that Biden filed late Tuesday asking the court to issue that preliminary injunction and temporary restraining order. So this kind of amicus brief backs that that injunction. And the officials say they had interest in the case, given that residents in their states could potentially need abortions while in Texas. Clinicians in their states could also perform abortions in Texas. And anyone in their states who helps a Texan get an abortion could be open to legal liability under SB8, which allows private citizens to sue anybody who aids and abets an abortion. 
The attorneys general also noted that Texans are now seeking abortion outside of the state as a result of the ban, putting a strain on those states' resources. And such impacts have already been seen or expected in states that signed on to the amicus brief, like New Mexico, California, Colorado, Illinois, and Nevada. Ruling in favor of the Texas law could broadly have significant implications for the 14th Amendment and for the rule of law by making it easier to enact policies that target other groups like people of color or LGBTQ plus Americans. That's according to the brief. This is part of the argument of the attorneys general. And courts have historically rejected such policies because they would violate the 14th Amendment equal protection clause. Interesting. The states that signed on to this amicus brief are Massachusetts, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, D.C., Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, and Wisconsin. So that is who is in your corner. Also, in palace intrigue news, Trump apparently flipped out at then-House Speaker Paul Ryan for condemning white supremacists after the deadly 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. That's the new book, Peril that we've only not we haven't read yet. We've only heard reports of in the news. Ryan responded to Trump's infamous both sides rhetoric around the violence at the gathering with a tweet calling white supremacy repulsive. Apparently, Trump was apoplectic with Ryan over his tweet. According to excerpts from the book, Trump phoned Ryan, screamed at him about not being in the foxhole with him. According to the book, Ryan reportedly told Trump he had a moral leadership obligation to get this right and not declare there is a moral equivalency here. These people love me. These are my people, Trump said to Ryan. I can't backstab the people who support me. I hate the way he says people, by the way. People. This drives me nuts. <laughs> or industry. Okay. Uh, anyway, I'm glad we don't have to listen to him anymore. I'm sorry for impersonating him here. Ryan noted the presence of white supremacists and neo-Nazis in Charlottesville. Trump admitted there were some bad people. I get that. I'm not for that. I'm against all that. He said, but there's some of those people who are for me. Some of them are good people. People. Ryan researched narcissistic personality disorders for two weeks following Trump's election win, when I'm having quotes here, to figure out how to work with Trump. He researched narcissistic personality disorders. Anyway, in pandemic news now, Republican legislatures, and this is pretty scary, in more than half of U.S. states, spurred on by voters angry about lockdowns and mask mandates, are taking away the powers that state and local officials use to protect the public against infectious disease. A Kaiser Health News review of 100 pieces of legislation found that in all 50 states, legislators have proposed bills to curb such public health powers since COVID-19 began. While some governors vetoed bills that passed, at least 26 states were able to push through laws that permanently weaken government authority to protect public health. In three additional states, an executive order, ballot initiative, or state Supreme Court ruling limited long-held public health powers. More bills are pending in a handful of states whose legislatures are still in session. In Arkansas, legislators banned mass mandates except in private businesses or state-run health care settings, calling them a burden on the public peace, health, and safety of the the citizens of the state. In Idaho, county commissioners who typically have no public health expertise can veto countywide public health orders. In Kansas and Tennessee, school boards rather than health officials have the power to close schools. In at least 16 states, legislators have limited the power of public health officials to order mask mandates or quarantines or isolation. In some cases, they gave themselves or local elected politicians the authority to prevent the spread of infectious disease. And at least 17 states passed laws banning COVID-19 vaccine mandates 
or passports or made it easier to get around vaccine requirements. At least nine states have new laws banning or limiting mask mandates, executive orders, or a court ruling limit mask requirements in five additional states. Much of this legislation takes effect as COVID-19 hospitalizations in some areas are climbing to the highest numbers at any point in the pandemic. And children are back in school. So you can look this up. This is on Reuters. They have a map and they show you where all these laws are. It's pretty, it's it's interactive. It's uh, very informative and kind of frightening. All right. Here on the left coast, California Democrats have called for changes to the state's recall process less than a day after Governor Gavin Newsom decisively beat back a Republican-led effort to oust him from office. Beat back. Yeah, creamed him. Assemblymember Mark Berman and State Senator Steve Glazer, both Democrats, announced Wednesday plans to hold a joint bipartisan hearing as early as October to examine potential modifications to the recall system. They did not outline any specific proposals that will be addressed during those hearings. Quote, yesterday's election highlighted the fundamentally undemocratic nature of California's existing recall process. (laughs) Yeah, no shit. Berman, who's the chairman of the Assembly Committee on Elections, said during the announcement that, you know, this is it's undemocratic. They did this over a Zoom call, by the way. He said California's law should not allow an elected official to be recalled and replaced by someone else who receives far fewer votes. Changing California's recall system which was established in 1911. I think I said 1913 the other day. I can't remember. Maybe I got it right, but I feel like I got it wrong. Anyway, long ass time ago, it would require the state legislature to pass a proposed amendment to the state constitution. So you would need two thirds of majority in the assembly and the Senate. The proposed amendment would appear on a statewide ballot if if it got the okay. Berman said he hopes legislation will be introduced sometime in early next year. An issue put to voters would be on the 2022 ballot, the midterms. And finally, in whatever the opposite of the lead story is, a special counsel appointed by Trump to the Justice Department to probe the oranges of the Russia investigation has charged a Democratic lawyer with making a false statement to the FBI. But I'll let you be the judge. So this is John Durham, as we know. He's been working on this investigation for over two years, longer than Mueller did. Mueller got 37 indictments and 299 charges. And uh, Durham has two. Remember, he, he had the lawyer, Kleinsmith, who I think falsified a statement about Carter Page in an email that really didn't have an impact on anything. But listen to this one. Durham charged lawyer Michael Sussman over a statement during a September 19th, 2016 meeting between Sussman and Jim Baker, one of the original Comey Five. Remember him? He was the FBI general counsel at the time, at which Sussman told Baker about suspicions relating to secret communications between the Trump campaign and Russia. The suspicions were later determined to be unfounded. I don't know if I buy into that totally, but this was about the server at Trump Tower that was communicating with Alpha Bank. Apparently, he handed him a thumb drive, Sussman, told Jim Baker. But see if you can follow this. According to the indictment, quote, during the meeting, Sussman lied about the capacity in which he was providing the allegations to the FBI. Specifically, Sussman stated falsely He was not doing his work on the aforementioned allegations for any client, which led the FBI general counsel to understand that Sussman was acting just as a good citizen, merely passing along information, not as a paid advocate or a political operative, unquote. Hmm. So he was representing the Hillary campaign at the time and some cybersecurity guy at the time. And he went over to the FBI, gave Jim Baker this thumb drive and said, I'm not doing this in the capacity as me working for Hillary Clinton. But how would you prove how, how I don't understand how he's going to John Durham is going to prove that maybe he's got proof that the Hillary Clinton campaign sent him over with a thumb drive. I don't know. 
I don't know, but it just doesn't make any sense to me as a 1001 charge. I'll, I, you know, I'll be going over the indictment in detail on this Sunday's Mueller, she wrote, and I will be complaining about how, you know, this is somehow an indictable lie. But lies to Mueller and Congress told by Don Jr., Manafort and Brett Kavanaugh and Jeff Sessions aren't. You know, we always talk about, you know, how the feds win over 90 percent of the cases they bring. I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb, put some beans on this prosecution failing or being overturned by a judge. So far, from what I understand, Sussman's going to fight the charges. And he's like, take me to court, dude. I didn't fucking do anything wrong. (laughs) It's just so weird. Like, anyway, we'll be right back with Frankie French and Stephen Campbell, their new podcast about not-for-profit organizations that's joining the MSW media family. And later, I'll be talking to the founder of Roast Battle on Comedy Central, my good friend, Brian Moses, as we talk COVID vaccines and lockdowns. So stay with us. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Allison for the Beans. And this portion of the show is brought to you by Bowl and Branch Sheets. Recently, after investing in my very awesome Helix mattress, I realized I needed to put just as much thought and care into the sheets I'll be sleeping on night after night. Bowling Branch knows high quality sleep doesn't stop at your mattress. Their ultra soft organic sheets are transparently sourced and produced in safe, fair conditions. Bowling Branch Partners is a family owned business that aligns with the same values and standards that, that we do here at the Beans. They're pledging to double U.S. assembly jobs this year. I love my Bowling Branch sheets, by the way. They're buttery soft, they're luxurious. They have a magnificent drape, a silken texture, which I love. And you'll be able to feel the difference and you'll know you're making one too. The Cloudweight Super Soft Sateen Weave gives you a softer, feeling with every single wash. They get softer over time. And there's no middleman between you and Bull and Branch, so you get the luxury quality for the fairest price. They stand behind their products and honor a 30-night worry-free guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they take care of it for you. To experience an entirely new standard of comfort, visit bowlandbranch.com. You get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout. That's Bull and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com, promo code DAILYBEANS. And today's show is also brought to you by the good folks at BetterHelp. BetterHelp counselors are able to provide professional help for whatever you're going through. They'll assess your needs and connect you with an experienced licensed therapist within 24 hours. Having experienced PTSD and anxiety myself, I've learned seeking support and assistance is more important than trying to handle it by yourself. And it's hard to ask for help. I I know it is for me, but BetterHelp makes it easy and convenient and private. Anytime from anywhere in the world, you can log onto your account, message your counselor, and you receive thoughtful responses. And you can schedule weekly meetings via phone or video. It's more affordable than traditional counseling and financial aids available. And you can change your counselor free even easily anytime if you want to, which is great because the therapeutic match is important. So visit BetterHelp's website. Read some of the testimonials like this one by user EM who says of their counselor, Phyllis has been instrumental in my growth over the last year, both personally and professionally. She's shown me how to accept the things I can't control and how to cope and find positivity in everyday life. I feel happier in the present moment due to her support and guidance. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And you can join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for you. You get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am happy to be joined today by the hosts of Nonprofits, a podcast that's going to be debuting October 7th on MSW Media. Please welcome Frankie French and Stephen Campbell. Hey, Frankie. Hey, Stephen. What's What's going on? Appreciate you having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's awesome to see you. And I have to tell everybody, and I I think I may have already told this story, but the wind up to Frankie, right? So (laughs) I go to Stir Crazy Comedy Club in Phoenix because my friend who's been on the show also was hosting a contest that night, right? 
and he was the host. And so I just walked up thinking, I'm just going to be here by myself. I'm just going to be sitting in the audience like because, you know, I've been 10 years a comic, but like I'm not even going to green room it this time. Like I'm in the audience. I'm an official member of the audience. But everybody was there. All my friends were there. Chip Nicholson was there. An amazing comedy set by this woman named Frankie French. And we died laughing. We, it was all so funny. And then, and I think you advanced that night. You, I think you won that night. Cut to what? Three months, four months later? Yeah, three, four months later. Yeah. I'm in New York and a lot of people came out for the meet and greet. And I just wanted to go to a show at the Comedy Cellar. So again, audience member, comedy show, which I haven't been in a million years, right? Um, go down to the Comedy Cellar. And Ray Romano pops in, but right before he gets up on stage, there's fucking Frankie French on stage again. And I'm like, I love her. I love this woman. And then we bump into each other at the pair and I'm like, you got We got to come talk. And so now here we are another couple of months later. And yes. tell me about nonprofits, what it's about, why you started it. What's the deal? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to just kind of start it. Then I'm going to hand it off to Steven. So basically Steven, uh, Campbell, who just introduced himself, it, we're pod partners, pod life partners. And um, we've we've known each other for, what, seven years, probably like the totality of the time we've been doing comedy um, from in D.C. And we've always been threatening to work together in some capacity. We're both very passionate about fundraising and social issues and social causes and championing causes and issues wherever we can, just in our private personal lives. We try to, we've always tried to kind of infuse it into our comedy and find opportunities where we could maximize our voices to utilize them for good, so to speak. Um, the pandemic hit and everyone was trapped in their houses as we all were. And that just became an optimal time for us to really do something with it. And so Steven hit me up, like this was his baby initially, like, hey, yo, we should start a podcast. I'm like, cool. He's like, I want a fundraising element to it. And I was like, what if we call it nonprofits? But like spelled like the prophet Jesus or Muhammad, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S, because we're not prophets, but we're bringing a good word to the people. Mm. And that just stuck. We both loved it. And Stephen, take it from here. Kind of break down what we do. Yeah, yeah. Jesus and Muhammad, a good company that we're keeping. <laughs> Jesus, Muhammad, Frankie, and Stephen. Yeah, Those are the prophets. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I've been a fundraiser for about 10 years. I've been a stand-up comic for almost eight. Shit, that's crazy. And like I said, uh, or like Frankie said, we've been close for a while. We've been wanting to work together for a while. I moved up to New York and it seemed to be more and more difficult. And then we were just stuck in our houses. So we've been working with groups like Black Lives Matter of New York, the Sierra Club, all sorts of dope groups. Oliver Scholars. Oliver Scholars. We actually, we just did a fundraising event for Oliver Scholars. Just this like midday thing in Midtown. On a rooftop and Kellyanne Conway may or may not have showed yeah, up. Yeah, there was weird shit. She, Kellyanne Conway showed up. She's haggard looking. She like, she's like a, like a Mr. Potato Head, but like melted in the sun. Mm, yeah, she's the after photo for meth never once. Yeah, right? but like, 100%. Yeah, yeah. That's accurate. This is your politician on drugs. But there is plenty to actually, you know, there's plenty of things, negative things we could hit her on for her personality. And uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. And I, I have to say, I'm super sad she was just fired by Biden. And I didn't even know she had a job on a military advisory board. I didn't know that either. This is literally news to me. You saying that. Wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> you were today years old. She was at an Eric Adams fundraiser. Yeah. Her and um, Sean Spicer 
both sat on this military advisory board, <laughs> military advisory board, Kelly and Conway. And uh, but yeah, Biden, Interesting. Biden said, you can you have till 6 p.m. to resign or you're fired. And Yikes. she's like, I'm not going anywhere. And he's like, OK, bye. <laughs> what a, what a that you could be so bad at your job and still keep that job. But OK, so we were talking about us enough about enough about Miss Anne Conway. But yeah, so the overall structure of the show is we highlight a social issue, then highlight a group that is working to alleviate that social issue. And so one of the things that we saw in the kind of documentary space and in the space of talking about different social issues, they usually end with a period, we're fucked. And so we would really show that we've been creating the show that we're starting to tour with and, and the podcast that we're so excited to have on MSW. The overall goal is to highlight the social issue, lift up people that are working to alleviate that social issue, and then show people how they can help from the comfort of their couch. One of the things with a lot of social good and social impact projects is people want to help, but people are lazy. <laughs> they're lazy. They got a lot of stuff going on and it's very hard for them to help. So we... And we're not sofa shaming anyone. Sit on your sofa, watch TV, but also listen to nonprofits and get active. <laughs> well, there's a ton of ways, right? And I think yeah. being locked down for so long kind of taught us a new way to knock on doors. Yeah. Which is, you know, and we have... So many of, of the listeners of The Daily Beans are so active in so many ways and, you know, writing postcards or text banking or phone banking mm -hmm. or fundraising or even just tweeting, speaking out, etc. I think we've learned a whole new set of skills that allow us to do this, these kinds of things remotely, which opens up the door, honestly, to so many people who wouldn't have normally been involved, like when it was just knocking on doors. Right. Not everybody is into that. Not everyone can even physically do it. Right. Exactly. exactly. And so now it's kind of like how Frankie, you and I talked about how adapting during the lockdown for comedy. And I just talked to Brian Moses about that, too. Like we have all these new things now, mm -hmm. new tools at our disposal, not to not necessarily to replace the way we do things, but to augment Had to. and yeah. supplement yeah and, that, and that's the whole thing it's like yeah it's for people who don't necessarily want to get out but there's also like you said people that can't get out you know what i mean and i don't think we oftentimes think about those groups you know what i mean they want to get active they want to be involved too and equal to that we want to also inspire people we talk to a lot of we work with grassroots organizations too not just the big guys we work with you know young men and women that are in their communities on the ground making a difference in some way and who's to say that someone won't hear this podcast, hear a spotlight, one of these change agents and go, oh, wow, I can do that in my community. Right. You know, so that's really the goal. You know, St Stephen is one of the people I think like you, Allison, and also like myself, not to like sit and pat ourselves on the back or anything like that, but not like we just call each other Jesus and Muhammad. But yeah, I can <laughs> right. But I think all of us genuinely in our heart, regardless of whether we're making money or getting notoriety from whatever we're doing. The real through line for all of us is that we want to make some sort of positive impact. Yeah. I think it's important that if you have a platform, if you have a voice and you have a, a medium to, to, that you can use, use it in the face of good. Use it in the direction of good. And that's what we really want to do.
Yeah. yeah, it's also this thing where just like running like a, an organization, a business, whatever it is, very often you want to focus on the core competencies of your people, right? So some people may not be good at getting on stage and talking about stuff. They may not be the activist type, but they may be good at accounting. They may be good at these different things. And so what we want to do is keep on showcasing people that have different skill sets and are able to help make an impact in their own way so that people can see themselves in those people. Yeah. And that they can be like, oh, shit, like I can I can do that. Like I'm already doing that. You know, I'm already writing my blog. I'm already doing like all these different things that people can focus on what their skill set is to make the impact that they can make. And most important, we're super funny. (laughs) (laughs) The number one thing, we're hilarious. It's really tiring. Sometimes you're like, oh, my God, Stephen, how do you keep making people laugh right now? This is crazy. funny yeah yeah and as a matter of fact and and that's i think one of the things that just really drew me to your comedy and you and and both of you as people is that you know when i started muller she wrote it was women and it was comedians right because to me it was so important in order to get really shitty news out <laughs> to people to make it i don't know uh, bearable. yeah yeah. To, yeah. Even, yeah because it's you know what that it was like just a fire hose of shit news on a daily basis it's like we want to keep people informed but without spraying with a with a shit avalanche so yeah we do the same thing with nonprofits. so like the exactly yeah the format is is steven and i come on first and whatever the social issue is that we're talking about we tell jokes and stories and i know people like jokes and stories it's like well interestingly enough steven and i between the two of us we've experienced all of the social issues, you know what I mean? From poverty to homelessness to my mom tried to murder me when I was eight. Like that's not even a joke. That's real, but she's dead now. So I won. Um, and like every, <laughs> that, that's a joke <laughs> and everything in between drug abuse, all of the things we've experienced, all of those things in some capacity between the two of us, most of the things we've both experienced. Yeah. So, you know, we have not only the license because it's been our life, to make the jokes and add levity to some very deep, heavy topics. But then, it, like you said before, Allison, it makes it more palatable for people to listen to and ingest yeah. and to find the peace and humor in their own situations to keep moving forward. Yeah. And sometimes it's not humor, right? Sometimes folks cope by crafting or right. yep. a painting or or working. Some people you know, yeah. dive into their work. I know that you know, when I was coping with a lot of trauma, I would get straight A's and people would be like, mm, I don't know if you're going through. They wouldn't see, be able to see the trauma because of the amazing output that, you know, that right. that resulted from it. So, yeah, it's I think it's great that it allows people to think of those different kinds of avenues for for expressing. For sure. Because I mean, because I mean, it all boils down to the human experience. You know what I mean? We like to compartmentalize things and say, well, this is, the, this is a black issue. This is a woman issue. These are gay issues. And what all of those things boil down is to humanity. I don't call myself a, a humanist. I don't call myself a black activist. I'm a humanist because I'm, my concern and where my heart lies is in the human condition, the human experience and how we as people can be better. And who are the people that we help first? We help the people that need the help the most, you know? Yeah. And it's a lot of like, social issues, environmental issues, whatever they are, that a lot of comedy comes from absurdity. Right. And just kind of pointing out the absurdity that this specific social issue, this specific environmental issue exists can be funny in itself. Right. And sometimes you just need that sort of lens to look at it. It's this thing that um, I just started going to therapy a little bit ago. Right. And 
I realized that like almost like humor has become almost my mindfulness that where mindfulness very often you like you, you look at a thought and you don't attribute a, a, an emotion to that thought. It's just a thought that's coming in and out of your brain where throughout our lives, I know I'd speak for Frankie too, that very often you look at something that is horrible and you're like, okay, well, that's not good, bad, and different. That's fucking hilarious. Like that's that, you know, like that. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it just is. I mean, there's, it was hard to write jokes about Matthew Whitaker who got a patent on a toilet for people with big dicks, you know, like <laughs> how do I write a joke? It's just its own joke. The best I could right. come up with was probably if he goes to prison, he's going to be able to make the most hooch. He's going to be able to make the most. <laughs> <toilet>. <laughs> I like that. But like, yeah, sometimes it, yeah, it's sometimes they write themselves. But yeah, when you have those thoughts, it's like to it's some some people instantly put a humorous shine on them. And yeah. that's that's how they get get through stuff or and not even cope, but just it's not even sometimes it's not even coping. It's just what you do. Yeah, there's um, like the January 6th insurrection, for instance, right? Like that shit was a tragedy. People people died. But one lady got trampled to death while carrying a don't tread on me flag. And that is, if I were to write that into a comedy, you would say he is trying to do comedy too hard. Right? Yeah, you, like, you wouldn't, that wouldn't be allowed in a writer's like You're room. overwriting right now. It's like, <laughs> but sometimes you just got to look at what is funny about a situation, right? Like some guy tasered himself in his own dick to death. That is, that is. That's the thing that happened. That's the thing that happened. I, 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 I'm not making a joke about it, but that is, if I wrote that into an SNL sketch, You'd be like, all right, well, I guess that's that's very absurd. That's very funny, but it's like, no. yeah, you'd you'd be you'd be branded as a top forty comic. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I'm really excited about this the debut of this show. It comes out everybody Thursday, every Thursday, but the the debut is Thursday, October seventh. It is on the yes. on the MSWmedia.com page, and you can find it wherever you get your podcast. It's called Nonprofits. P R O P H E T S which I love. And I love that you're amplifying these grassroots and big, big and small organizations that are doing the work. And I love that there's a call to action. And I think this is just such great work and important work. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Oh my God, shut your face. We're thankful to be here. We appreciate you, Allison. Yeah, we sincerely appreciate the platform. And uh, we hope that we can create a space where people can help in any way that works for them. I love it. I love it so much. All right. Well, thank you guys. Thanks, Allison. After these messages, we'll be right Hey, everybody, it's AG with the Beans, and today's show is brought to you by Upstart. So many Americans experienced financial hardship over the last year and a half. You know, a lot of people lived off their credit cards, lost their jobs during the pandemic. And that interest, that high interest, never seems to go away, no matter how much you try to pay it down. But with Upstart, you can regain your footing. Your debt can be paid off quickly with an online personal loan from Upstart. Over half a million people have used Upstart to consolidate their debt or pay off their credit cards or fund personal expenses with simple fixed payments. Other lenders look at just your credit score. But Upstart looks at your income and employment history. You're more than just a number to them. And this means they can offer smarter rates to you with their trusted partners. With a five-minute online rate check up front, you can see your rate up front for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. And upon approval of your loan, your funds can be available within 24 hours, one business day. Lots of friends in the past year I know have found themselves in this financial hole. So I highly recommend checking out Upstart. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. That's upstart.com slash daily beans. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Your loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided on your loan application. 
Just head to upstart.com slash daily beans. And today's show is also brought to you by American Giant. I am a big proponent of thinking globally and acting locally. To me, you get the best quality locally, like farm to table restaurants and farmers markets. Um, they give you special, unique experiences while supporting communities in the process. American Giant is the epitome of acting locally. They go beyond made in America and forge lasting relationships with local manufacturers and workers and communities to obsess over every single detail of their clothing at every step of production. That's how they made their flagship classic full zip hoodie, which is my favorite hoodie. And it went on to be called the greatest hoodie ever made. And I have to agree. Their product line has grown well beyond their first best selling hoodie to their core commitment of revolutionizing your everyday wardrobe. It hasn't changed. I love the quality of American Giant Apparel. Their clothes are durable, but the fabric is soft and comfortable and it looks great. Their locally made clothing is not only beautiful, it's better for both the wearer and the people and communities impacted at every step and the planet because you're not buying stuff over and over again and having it end up in landfills. So explore American Giant's collection of durable essentials at American-Giant.com. You'll get 20% off when you use code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com and use promo code DAILYBEANS. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. The other week, I went up to Los Angeles to participate in a movie premiere for Addie Barkin. And while I was there, I was hanging out at the comedy store and I ran into my very good, very old friend who is the founder and curator of the Roast Battle and host of the Roast Battle podcast. And I'm sure you've all heard of Roast Battle on Comedy Central. He hosted that as well. Please welcome Brian Moses. Hey, Brian. Well, good to see you again. (laughs) It's always, always a pleasure to see you, my friend. And I, I wanted to bring you on and talk to you because we had gotten into discussing some political matters while out on the patio. As we do. As we do. As we do. Particularly about COVID and COVID vaccines and how there is a problem reaching, oh, I don't know, certain communities with the vaccination. And and then also just decades upon decades of what I would consider medical malpractice toward the black community. And I mean, there's just so much people when they think of systemic racism, they think of it in the justice system, you know, or the the prison to the school to prison pipeline. But we rarely talk about it in the medical community. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that because it's pervasive. Yes. Uh, I mean, we had a whole year of Black Lives Matter, right? It was all about you know, social justice for certain minority groups, right? I mean, it was the whole George Floyd of it all. And I know we were talking about this, but I feel like there is another George Floyd type moment happening right now. And it's really shedding a light on the medical community. And friends of mine, some of the quote unquote smartest people we know, you know, they, they have this blind prejudice to what I would consider a kid's glove issue when it comes to this medicine and the black community. Right. Like, I know this is a public health crisis with covid and, I, and we would all wish that everybody would get vaccinated. But we also would want everybody to have their own choice mm-hmm. just because there is a malpractice. I mean, like that maybe that's even the kind of understating what's happened in the medical community and the black community and the Latino community and the Native American community and, you know, any any type of minority group. I mean, since slavery, you know, medical doctors have been practicing certain things on, you know, on black women or black men. I mean, when the polio vaccine was mandated in this country, I don't think it was mandated for black people. They said it was for all people. So the history books are going to say that. But I don't think it was mandated for black people because they said that the polio virus wasn't a black disease. We were more prone to get syphilis, right? Which is why you know about the Tuskegee experiments. Right. And that medical scare. But I mean, it's still persistent, even with black women in postnatal care. They say 55% of black women don't get out of the hospital after birth. You know what I mean? I mean, in a first world country, that's a little heinous to me. I think it'd be heinous to everybody if you actually saw the stats. Same thing with medical race norming. 
if a black person would go in, they would say that black people can tolerate more pain. So like a guy would go in with like, you know, elbow pain and they say, oh, you're fine here. Take this. And then next week he died because he had cancer and they just didn't check him. Right. Or he had high blood pressure, or blood clotting, that kind of a thing. And because medical race norming and precedence was set ages ago. Right. They just don't consider black people, I would say, on the level uh, of maybe some other groups in this country. So when, we, when it comes to the vaccine, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little sensitive to people having their choice. If you want to get vaccinated, thank you so much. But if you don't, I mean, like there's people I love who are getting vaccinated. There's people I do love who are getting vaccinated. So I just think that there needs to be a little more critical thought and a little more empathy for, I think, people who are staying unvaccinated and just making it their choice. You know, let people die on their own if they want to die. Right. But I mean, it does sort of kind of leave us open, as as you and I talked about, to, you know, the more unvaccinated people there are, the more we can develop new mutations and strains that may be resistant to the vaccine. We haven't seen that happen yet. The Delta variant, we know that the vaccines are still resistant to the Delta variant, at least insofar as keeping you out of the hospital or from preventing death. But the science, at least the science shows that we need to be probably 80 to 85 percent vaccinated in order to kick this thing. Mm -hmm. And without the empathy, what do you think? Because it seems now to boil down to messaging, right? Or people just being willing to talk about it. Right. And so I was wondering, have you talked to some of your unvaccinated friends? What is the messaging that that would work in that particular scenario? Because, I mean, the science shows the vaccine is safe. Yeah. So it's, you know, I have to understand history. So how, how do you approach it in that way without seeming like you're ignoring that fact, the fact of history? I think it, it, it's a tough hill to climb because even some of these, you know, these unvaccinated people, it's not that they are better on the information. They aren't, um, they aren't bursting the information, right? Like some of my friends who are, you know, they'll even say like, well, you know, the flu became endemic, right? Like there was still a lot of people who weren't getting vaccinated with the flu back in like, you know, the Spanish flu era or these other flu eras, right? And it became endemic. So it's like, you really don't need all black people to get vaccinated for this for this country to become, you know, I guess a little more herd immunity for uh, for COVID because as we've seen before, they didn't really were really trying to get the flu shot to black people, right? So it was just like every white person in this country took it and then this thing became endemic, which is why it's still endemic today because not everybody is actually getting vaccinated for the flu. So right, but then also people tend to yeah. still believe that the segregation doesn't exist. That's a, that's <laughs> what we're saying right now. Yeah, and it absolutely does. And so when when there are large large groups of certain communities, then it becomes a, a real threat. Well, this is kind of the first time, right? That I mean, we can even say the polio vaccine was mandated, and the, and the smallpox was mandated, right? So in, in the annals of history, you're going to say, well, every human, you know, was was vaccine mandated. But not necessarily. It was first come, first serve for the majority in this country, whoever that was at the time, right? Which was most likely it was white people. So I think this is the first time where we've all been kind of woke. And this is the first, like, we're all on the same level of, hey, we actually all need to get this thing. And I don't think we're saying that enough of like, hey, we know we fucked up in the past. Please. Like, you know, I, I, maybe there's more incentive maybe for certain minority groups, but that's going to make other groups, you know, maybe like, oh, why are they getting a million dollars and we're only getting a hundred dollars, right? Or, you know, why are they getting a grant for a small business to just to get vaccinated. Like I'm the same kind of person. I mean, it's, it's a slippery slope and it's a tough conversation to have, but it is a conversation to have. I mean, maybe this is like black people holding the country hostage and going to get those reparations. Like, Hey, we can't all go back to work and go back to normal, you know, pre pandemic, unless every black person in the country gets a million dollars. 
It could be that. Yeah, true. But I mean, I think that, you know, the giant minority of numbers, at least, of people who are refusing to get vaccinated are middle-aged white men, you know, statistically. There's, yeah, listen, there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's more white adults in America than there are black yeah. people as a whole. So Right. But then so to hold. Really <laughs> but so to hold black people responsible is incorrect. And, Thanks. you know, also, I think you bring up a really good point. The messaging should include an acknowledgement of the past history. And right now there is a huge movement to not only erase the past history, but to continue to not teach it Correct. to people. Yeah. And I've been bringing up Mary Trump's book quite a bit. She has a new book out called The Reckoning. And she talks about the only way we can heal from our current traumas is to is to face our past trauma and shame. And without doing that, we're just kind of putting Band-Aids on and, and allow it like putting out mealy mouthed efforts that could backslide right back into, you know, white supremacy, kind of like comparing post one six with reconstruction, for example. Yeah. One of the worst eras in like American history is the reconstruction for just for black Americans. I feel like the reconstruction era was just supremely fucked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I also love the point you just brought up about not addressing past trauma. I think it's why in you as a comic and I and I love your art just because you really do go there you do you do engage and just like well hey we're doing free speech and like why and you make it a you don't make it a right but you make it a almost like a um like i have to do this kind of a thing to really press the audience to see what i can get away with right like that is the job of a uh, of a comedian more or less right mm-hmm. and i love that you said like past trauma because i was talking to a girl this weekend and she's like you know i've had sexual assault history before she's like but i love rape jokes you know she's like because it does make people kind of it does affront them with like, hey, this does happen all the time. And people have to think about that. If you challenge them, then they're going to go home and think about that rather than just like a lot of guys are like, hey, I just want people to be here and forget about their, you know, and that's cool. Good, too. You can you can be the silly guy who doesn't want to press the audience about like social, you know, commentary. But I love the way you get down because you really do press them about like, hey, this may be a trigger for you, but this is my job to kind of be clever and make a punchline about it. That way you feel a little better about it, but you're also thinking about it. Yeah. The only problem is when they fail to see the irony in it. <laughs> oh, it's not a joke. That's what makes it subjective. Right. Right. I want to talk to you more about COVID and what comedy was like during lockdown and potential future lockdown and what you're doing, because I know you got some future shows coming up, but I have to take a break. Will you stay with me? Yes, of course. All right. Thanks, Brian. Everybody will be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Allison Gill. If you've listened to the show for a while, you know I'm kind of obsessed with the mobile game Best Fiends. It is the best Match 3 style game ever made. The rest are basically just the same game over and over with different color schemes, honestly. Um, Stop crushing the same old candy. Try something fresh and exciting. Best Fiends has captivating storylines with the good guys, the fiends, and the not-so-good guys, the slugs. You start out with little baby fiends, but as you play, they become more powerful, and you can level them up and give them... They all have different certain strategic things that they can do for you. And it's it's just a really great strategy puzzle game. New fiends join the team and they help you solve increasingly challenging puzzles. And with Best Fiends, you get action-packed adventure and brain-boosting puzzle games all in one with a new content added all the time. You're never bored. I think I'm, I think I'm at level... Th- I'm over 3,000 now. But there's thousands of levels with more added all the time. There's always a new challenge to look forward to whenever I need a fun break from reality or a little mental boost to keep me sharp. Download Best Fiends free today at the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. And also, on September 11th, 2001, 60 amateur sailors were at sea filming a reality show on an 18th century replica ship. Cool, right? But, you know, then 9-11 happened. They were weeks from land and the nearest TV or radio. And that morning, a single message was conveyed through their one satellite phone they had. 
It just said four planes hijacked, two towers down, Pentagon attacked, thousands dead. And that was it. Not a single other piece of information for weeks. So what was it like to experience 9-11 in isolation like that? And how would they make sense of a radically different world they returned to? This is just one of the stories in the podcast 912. It's a new podcast series from Amazon Music and Pineapple Street Studios. In each episode of 912, the host, Dan Taberski, he tells the stories of these characters whose lives would never be the same after September 11th. Through them, we can begin realizing there are new lessons to be learned and, and that we just might have enough distance now from 9-11 to make sense of some of the things we couldn't understand before. I really recommend you check out 912. The inside stories are compelling and eye-opening. So if you're interested in taking a deep dive to really learn more about 9-11, you've got to listen and subscribe to 912. Follow 912 wherever you get your podcasts, or you can binge all seven episodes right now on Amazon Music or with Wondery Plus. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are talking to the founder and curator, host of the Roast Battle podcast, Brian Moses. And Brian, before the break, I said I wanted to talk to you a little bit about comedy during, before pandemic, post pandemic, and then potentially pre second lockdown. Right. First of all, talk about in, in case there's folks listening who haven't seen Roast Battle or are unfamiliar with Roast Battle, because I think that I can pretty much guarantee everyone listening knows about the roasts, mm-hmm. right? The Friars Club roasts. But tell us how Roast Battle started, because it started, I think, in the parking lot or one of the back rooms, the belly room of the comedy store in Los Angeles. And it's a, it's a really interesting story. And, and, and of course, then it just blew up. Yeah. So the Roast Battle, I mean, X-Crux is like a, like a verbal boxing match, right? So it's like, it's like the Comedy Central Roast, the Friars Club Roast of yesteryear and then it's also like a like a rap battle right because it's two guys in a ring kind of just throwing verbal assaults at each other but we're not rhyming we're just throwing punchlines at each other um and it came it really came organically like i was running an open mic at the comedy store and then an employee and a new comic who happened to be under 21 which at the time we had no idea but this employee at the club josh martin said hey this comic kenny lyon he's underage and you guys been letting him in and we've been trying to kick him out and then Kenny Lyon was just like, well, I turn 21 next week and I'm going to kick your ass. He said to Josh Martin. And I was like, yeah, you guys should slap box and we should, you know, but the comments were had just installed cameras and there's no fighting in the club. That's crazy. So I was like, all right, how about you guys just talk shit about each other? And then we'll all kind of yay or nay, you know, a la gladiator. And that's kind of how it was born. And then just every week somebody had like some new suggestion. Like, so the com- so the community really was, was helping like formulate this, you know, and then really that was just my job to curate and help and just conduct. And then just organically, all these new things happen. Like the all Negro wave happened, which is like this improv troupe who does these impromptu sketches, literally like six second sketches. When a, when a punchline, it just like explodes. We have a DJ who's like scoring the whole thing as if he's, you know, John uh, Williams or something like Star Trek or Star <laughs> Wars. You know, you have uh, all the judges and it's like, it's your, it's the most famous judges possible. Jim Carrey's been there. Dave Chappelle. Dave Attell, Joe Rogan. I mean, I know everybody hates him, but he's huge. And his influence was like, you know, he made it popular just like everybody else did. Whitney Cummings, Chelsea Peretti. Uh, the list goes on. Sarah Silverman was there one night when Sarah I was there. Sarah yeah. Silverman. I'm Bill Burr. I mean, yeah, the list absolutely goes on. I think uh, Jordan Balfour, the Wolf of Wall Street, was there one time, the actual Wolf of Wall Street. So, yeah, it's it's nuts. But that's kind of how the, the show happened. And when... Uh, seven continents, except for like six, except for Antarctica. <laughs> seven continents, six, not including Antarctica. It would be, that would suck. Yeah, yeah. England's just roast battling each other. It would be, be kind of good. 
It's just literally a fire in a trash can to keep warm. <laughs> yeah. Talk a little bit about what the lockdown did to, because I know that there's a roast battle podcast comes out every Tuesday. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're a little on hiatus just because uh, it's hard to have people verbally spatting with each other during COVID. But yeah. Yeah. yeah so I was wondering. Yeah, what we have past episodes you guys could all watch. It's got crazy guests on there. Nikki Glazer. Anthony Jeselnik, Sarah Silverman. You guys check it out. But for you personally, what doing comedy? Because I've, I've had a lot of comedians come on here. We've talked to Kathy Griffin, Maria Bamford. My co-host is Dana Goldberg. She's a comedian. Yeah. And the lockdown just stopped everything dead in its tracks. And we're, we seem to be back now with vaccine requirements. I know when I walked onto the I walked onto the patio at the store, oh. somebody tapped me on the shoulder. I think it was Guam. He's like, I'm going to need to see your vaccine card. And I'm like, cool, thanks. Here it is. So it seems we're kind of getting back on track. But the Delta variant is is also a problem. But it doesn't seem to have curbed crowds recently, at least over the summer. But I, you know, I was wondering what sort of adaptations did you do like uh, remote shows or I know that I talked to Steve Hofstetter. He does like nowhere comedy and everybody's kind of been doing Maria Bamford did some really creative stuff. We all know about Bo Burnham's special, like people just really kind of adapting to to the lockdown. How, how was that for you? I mean, just from a from a macro standpoint, seeing the evolution of the art and it going into your home, like instead of instead of like being live at the crowd, because remember, well, we say like, oh, I'll support live stand up and. I mean, in a sense, this is still live stand-up when we're streaming and we're doing Zoom shows or we're doing, you know, we're calling them Zoom shows, but they're just live stream shows. It was impressive. I mean, as much as I didn't condone it because it's like I'm talking to a machine basically trying to, you know, get a reaction, but there's a there's a lag, you know what I mean? So it Right. And you don't have that organic crowd yeah. thing. Yeah. But I saw really cool like, like the Hofstetters and the um and the Danny Jollices of the world, like they really made it their own and really fucked with the art to a point where like it was oh this is what it can become so i think now you may even see just like guys doing live stream specials you know instead of like really bringing it back to the old television days of like if you didn't catch it well you missed it or we record it and then you can sell it afterwards it's like this was live and i did it you know in front of either nobody or a room full of this and you could see it live so in that sense i'm kind of cool with it i didn't do a lot of live stream shows or zoom shows just because I, I didn't want to sit there in front of my computer in my room. So I, it's all it's depressing in here anyway. So I had seen folks positing that the way that we did comedy before mm-hmm. won't ever be that way again. And I disagree. I disagree with that. I think we have more options now. Yeah. I, you know, we could do our stand up live with a live audience, but also maybe live stream it to people who can't make it. Because I think there were a lot of people yeah. that got into comedy during lockdown who wouldn't normally because they don't go out or can't go out or et cetera. So I think we really broadened that audience. And so I think integrating it is a cool idea, but I don't think it's a replacement. And I don't think the old quote unquote way of doing comedy is going anywhere anytime soon. It's expanded. I I, I like that attitude because I think it, we're talking about the the craft of stand up comedy. I mean, like it's still kind of a baby, you know what I mean? It's not that old as a, as a, as an art form. So to see this is kind of like a new olive branch you know, that's kind of grown for the craft. It's like, all right, let's see what happens at the at the end of the 20s and the 30s. Like we're now developing virtual comedy clubs, you know, yeah. it's like you really don't have to get out of the house, you know, just because, you know, there's so many shootings outdoors anyway, and there's a super bug floating around. So it's like maybe you can't just sit at home and watch, you know, a Sarah Silverman special where she's doing it in front of 50 people. And now you can be in Ireland or Australia or other English speaking countries, you know, that you, that you would understand her and, and, and how she gets down or an Alison Gill. You know what I mean? So I think it's, it's always a positive when things are expanding. I don't think it's a negative. 
that. And you're right. I don't think it's replacing. I think this is expansion. Yeah. Go in the main room. Go in the original room. Go in, in a comedy club. Pop some cameras in there. Sell a ticket on Rush Ticks for people who want to view it remotely. And I mean, that would that would be a really amazing way to maybe pay and possibly unionize comedians. <laughs> once maybe. And for all. I mean, that could be it. <laughs> I mean, we were doing a live stream uh, at the comedy store with uh, these guys, Mint Comedy, and they were with uh, Verizon Media. So we were doing it every week and, and they hit like 68 countries every week, you know, with our show and other shows they do with the comedy seller. So I kind of think it is the wave, of, the wave of the future. Yeah, especially to get comics paid because we notoriously yeah, well, yeah. do not. <laughs> so anyway, and uh, especially in Los Angeles, because why would you pay me when Bill Burr can come in and bump me off and, and for free right? Do, yeah, do 20 minutes for free? So. Anyway, I think it's really it's it's a lot to think about, but you do actually have some live shows coming up. And I'm really excited about this because it's part of Austin City Limits and it's in Austin, right? October yeah. 1st and 2nd. Tell me, tell us about the, those shows, because if, if the, we have any listeners in Austin, I really encourage you to check out Brian Moses. His comedy is it transcends so many things. It's really it's I've always been a fan and you've only gotten better over the last decade that I've known you. Thank you. I mean, it's a uh, yeah, I, yeah. It's it's comedy that bruises. It's not for the uh, the faint of heart. You know, if you're coming in, no. There's some there's some verbal splash. So it's not gonna it's not gonna make you. Yes, happy. and the Daily Beans is not responsible for anything Brian Moses says or the opinions of Roast Battle or Brian Moses Productions LLC Incorporated. Completely voluntary and consensual. If you come to my shows, I don't want you there if you don't want to. Be. I'm not gonna hold you hostage. Yeah, it's gonna be at the Jungle. In Austin, Texas, October 1st and 2nd. I think uh, ACL, Austin City Limits, is October 1st and 3rd. So you, you have an option. You can come see Brian Moses at the Jungle 1st and 2nd. Yeah, and it's uh, the shows are called Jungle Bunny Live, which, yes, is a racial slur, but it's provocative. And uh, there's a reason we call it that, just because it's at the Jungle. And uh, I'm a black person. There's probably going to be a lot of white people in there. That's kind of what the slur is about. Well, I hope you make them think, Brian. And thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, everybody, check them out. What's well, October 1st and 2nd at the Jungle in Austin. Yeah. And it's been really great to talk to you and get your perspective. I appreciate your time. Allison, I love you. I mean, I, this is the greatest show on earth. Everybody keep tuning in. I love you. Love you too, man. All right, everybody. That's our show today. I will see you Sunday from Muller She Wrote in the MSW Book Club. Grab your copy of The Reckoning now so you can catch up. Until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. <laughs>